This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. Every evening after dinner, Herman Agbavor and his five-year-old son have a ritual. Uh, Herbert. Yes? Herbert climbs up onto his dad's lap. Okay. Come here. Unzips his book bag. And they start his kindergarten homework. Circle the object below that are shaped like. Circles. Circles. Show me. This one. This one. This one. Okay. Herman, the dad, is 47. The boy in his lap in the oversized T-shirt is his oldest child. They live in a cement block apartment in a multifamily house. They have a TV, some books, no indoor plumbing. Mm-hmm. We're in a working class neighborhood of Accra, the capital of Ghana. Yeah. Herman has been doing some version of this homework ritual for years. <laughs> He's enrolled his son in preschool since age one. That is tired. Hmm? Mm. And sometimes he gets frustrated. T R A C E. What does it mean? T R A C E. You've got to learn how to read. It's very important. Here in Ghana, there's a lot riding on getting your kid to read by age five. I'm not supposed to be reading the thing for you all the time. Hmm? No one can pinpoint when those expectations started, but everyone feels it, this pressure. You work, and then after you play. Okay. Hmm? That I finished. Let me see. Okay. I'm here at Herman's house with Nurit Eisenman and PR correspondent. And why did you start him uh, at school at one years old? In fact, we don't have that opportunity. Herman's stuck in a job he doesn't love. And he thinks it's because he didn't get the right start. Don't have the opportunity to He's working at the airport, filling out paperwork on the planes that come in. And for his son... Do you want him to have a certain kind of job, you know? Uh, I would love my child to be a doctor. I would love my child to be a pilot. But pilot, doctor, pastor, whatever his son chooses... That has to be his choice. What he wants to do. Like, whatever his talent is... Fulfill it. Everywhere, Herman hears the message that Africa is rising. Just last year, Ghana ranked among the world's fastest-growing economies. And that makes Herman both hopeful and afraid. Hopeful that his son could have better choices than he did. Afraid that this new economy might leave them both behind. Every step... It's the foundation for the next level. It's not just Herman doing this. There is a trend in Ghana, and actually in many fast-growing African cities. Parents are putting their children in school at younger and younger ages. Not daycare, preschool, with homework and tests and grades. A few days later, walking around Herman's neighborhood... You just keep seeing all these colorful, hand-painted signs so there are a lot of these new for schools. preschools. Yeah, there's one here. There's one here. Oh, really? Which one? First step. First steps. Tiny treasures. There's another one also here. High Hope School. One on the same road. Yeah. Yes. Did you consider that one for Herbert? It's quite expensive. How, how much did they charge? I'm Nareet Eisenman. And I'm Gregory Warner. This is Rough Translation, a show about how the conversations we're having in the United States are playing out in some other corner of the world. In the U.S., there is a lot of hope around preschool, how it might change the lives of kids across the country, and there's a big push to get kids enrolled. In Ghana's capital city, they're already enrolled. 80% of three-year-olds are in school. That's twice what you see in the U.S. But 
The government tested these kids once they went on to elementary schools, and they realized most kids are not actually learning. Those schools are not doing what they promise. So this is a story about how the government of Ghana looked squarely at this problem, brought in some experts, tried an experiment to fix these schools. And this fix seemed to work. Scaled up, it might help millions of kids across the continent. But then it ran into a wall. When the same forces, fear and love that were fueling these schools, started getting in the way. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from Carvana. On a mission to make car buying more convenient and affordable than ever before. In minutes, you can browse thousands of options under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today to get started. We're back with Rough Translation, and to tell this story of how Ghana looked at this problem and tried to fix it, we're going to do a very oh, awkward, yeah. awful thing to do to any human being. We have the video. Yes. Just, just a tiny bit. We are going to show them a video of themselves. And what we'd like to do is show you the video. Doing a job that they're not doing very well. Uh, is that okay? You're okay with it? Okay. Godiva Gibatudama is a kindergarten teacher. It's not easy. It's not easy teaching. She's 41 years old, round face, huge smile. I'm doing it with love. Yeah. A couple years ago, she was part of a research project in Ghana, and they filmed her in her classroom. Amen. This is the first time she's seen the video. Can you hear it okay? And as she's watching this, Hi. she's just wincing. You see my empty classroom? <laughs> Godiva has a particular laugh when she's uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm just looking at the classroom. What do you see? (laughs) How it was empty. (laughs) The walls are bare, no posters, nothing for the kids to look at. She speaks sharply to the kids. What's it like to watch this? Mm, Very sad I was doing this. Makes you sad. Yes. For Godiva, this gap between the teacher she wanted to be and the teacher she was, Godiva felt it for years. She got into preschool teaching at age 20 because she needed a job. Her mother had died and she had to support her siblings. So I have to hustle here and there. And there were all these preschools popping up around her neighborhood. They were desperate to hire. I just go to the headmaster and spoke with him. She applied for a job. They didn't care that she'd never taught before, that she only had a high school degree. That was my first class. She gets in the classroom, and she loves it. I realized that that's what God has planned for me. So now I have to get into it fully. She started to talk to the school learners about how can she be a better teacher. And they always gave her the same advice. More homework. More homework. Why don't you give the children three homework? Why don't you give them four homework? The parents, they want to be sure that the kids aren't just sitting around, that they're learning their ABCs, one, two, threes. They'll open the kid's book bag in front of her. The parents took the bag and opened it and said, yeah, there is no homework in the child's bag. And we say, we are sorry. So Monday, double it for the child. Wait, so, you, so you said, don't worry, we'll give you double as much homework on Monday. That's the game. 
Everyone around her saw her job in this one way. The headmaster who ran the school, the parents who paid for it. But she was convinced there had to be more to teaching than this. Godiva saw that there was this other preschool nearby. Tuition there is three times as much as hers. She wondered what was going on in that school. So she launches a kind of spy operation. Let me be truthful. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. She kind of sneaks a peek into this school that's not too far from where she lives. So I went there in a pretend manner. She actually pretends. I'm bringing my chat. To be a parent. Let me say the truth. And her scheme worked. She got the headmistress there to show her around. Then she took me to her class. I was like, oh, wow. So this is how you do your classroom. What, what did she show you? She had um, Legos. Shapes in different sizes. Shapes in different sizes. Oh, she had a lot of things. She was pretty blown away by the contrast. She had books with pictures in them. She did feel like this is what you can have when there's money. That's what made me go to manager and was like... So she tries to make the case to her headmaster, like, we should buy some more stuff for the kids. But he just tells her, look, we don't have those kinds of resources. This is a school for working-class African parents. They always complain there's no money in my school. Moto is no money, no money. All the time there's no money. Godiva goes back to her classroom with the bare walls, knowing that somewhere out there there's this preschool nirvana where kids have colored shapes and Legos to play with. Years would pass before Godiva would find out that there was something wrong with her classroom. But unlike Legos, something tangible, this was a problem that she couldn't see. And the story of how she learned to see this thing, it actually begins one day in her classroom when she gets some visitors. She says these guys show up at her school. One is a tablet with a camera. That's when they took that video of her, the before picture. It feels a bit like a reality show, but these guys are researchers for an international group called Innovations for Poverty Action, IPA. Ghanaian officials called them in after the government tested these kids, second graders in city schools, and they realized a third of them could not read a single word of a simple story. The government actually came to us We have all these kids in preschool, but children are not getting anything from it. And actually, they could be being harmed in the process. Sharon Wolf is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. She studies early childhood education. I've done this work in Kenya, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. She gets the call to go to Ghana. She starts off by measuring what kids know. And one way you do that is by showing a picture and asking children to tell you what they see. Like a landscape with animals in it, get them to describe it. You can kind of count the number of words they say, get a sense of their vocabulary skills and some other things. And when we basically just asked children, what do you see in this picture? We would just get blank stares. Children could not tell us what they were seeing. Maybe she thinks they don't know the words, but... You could ask them, where is the tree? Where is the bird? And that they could do. They know the word for everything on that card. And yet when the kids are asked, just generally, what do you see? They're stuck. It became very clear that children are really not getting opportunities to do this in school. So Sharon started visiting classrooms in Ghana, and what she saw there was a particular kind of teaching. Good morning, school. How are you? 
You walk into one of these classrooms, you find two-year-olds sitting at desks in rows. It's a very serious environment. There's no toys, no windows to look through. And the teacher holds up picture cards. These preschools have basically just become extensions of primary schools. A lot of rote memorization. All I'm saying, shoo, 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 shoo. We called up the official in charge of Ghana's elementary schools, Margaret Okai. She says most preschool teachers in Ghana, they don't have any training. Sometimes when you enter their classroom, you realize that they are not able to engage the children. They fall back on how they learned in school, with lectures and memorization. And talking, talking, talking. All I'm saying is nose, nose, nose. Show me your nose. Now, this class of two-year-olds is on to Roman numerals. I stand for one. I, I stand for two. I, I, I stand for three. I, V stand for four. V. I want the pencil. Okay, got it. The dad, Herman, who we met doing homework with his son, he says this style of teaching okay. is such a feature of life in Ghana that Ghanaians have a name for it. We call it chew and pour. Chew and pour. Yes, you chew it and it comes and pour for the teacher. You, you chew it up from the teacher and then you pour it back out to her. You forget about it. <laughs> you forget about it. You pass your exam finish. People in Ghana laugh about chew and pour because it's always been this way. Same way Americans complain about standardized testing or why we get a whole summer off to forget everything. <laughs> Margaret Okai says this kind of teaching, yes, it's not very effective at any age. They should rather engage the children more. But it's especially problematic for the littlest kids because there is something that young kids need that can be almost invisible to adults unless that adult is trained to see it. Supporting student expression which is trying to get children to develop their own thinking skills. Getting them to think about things and then articulate it back to you. You know, who can share what they loved about today? And why did you enjoy that? So Sharon wondered, in a country where chew and pour was the classroom norm, what would it take for teachers to try something different? And would that change actually help students here learn? So we brought teachers to a training center in Accra, and they had... That's the capital. Mm -hmm. And they had five days of training that was uh, very practical. Eighty schools are chosen at random, and at one of these schools is Godiva, our former spy. She finds herself with all these other teachers sitting in a room, learning about things like young kids' brains, sensory learning, why you should seat kids in circles instead of in rows. Yes. So of all of these things... Which of them was the most eye-opening for you, different from the way, you know, typically? The one that I like most is about a morning arrival. It's this morning arrival ritual. They told her when the kids first get to class, you should ask them, Why are you happy? The child will tell you the reason why he or she is happy. Why are you sad? But if she wants the children to really answer her and not just give blank stares, Godiva realizes she doesn't just have to ask different questions. She has to become a different kind of teacher. As a teacher, you should be approachable. Approachable? Like if they sit on floor, I sit on floor with them. When they sit on the floor, she sits on the floor. Why didn't you do that before? Mm, I thought I'm a teacher. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. 
kids. <laughs> what does that mean? I am the teacher. What does that mean? I'm the teacher. I put you where you belong. Yes. Like you need uh, to command respect. Yes. Yeah, that's the way. The way Godiva grew up, a teacher's job was to put you in your place, to teach you respect for authority. This idea of asking kids questions about their feelings and waiting for them to answer. Beginning her thought is this is Ghana. Yeah, we are supposed to handle children in our own way. A kid shouldn't be the one to initiate a conversation with an adult in Ghana. Kids shouldn't look adults in the eye, even. That one is normal. You were supposed to be afraid of teachers. It's part and parcel of us. I remember a teacher. She remembers one time one of her high school teachers knocked her on the head. Knocked my head at dining hall. She was 16. She's in the cafeteria. She's trying to sneak some food. And this teacher, he was the French teacher, he catches her and he just hits her really hard. I had a severe headache for more than two days. When she became a teacher, she did it too. Let me be frank. I knocked their head. You knocked their head. When they do something bad, I just... Now, as she sits in that training program... That keeps flashing back into my brain. She starts to rethink all those experiences that she's had. Like that time with the French teacher. How humiliated she felt. I, I put my head on the table then. I cried. She dropped his class. Never studied French again. I don't even want to see his face. And that teacher, I hate him up to today. And reflecting on that... Godiva realized that she had seen that same hatred in the eyes of one of her students, a boy named Chris. Yes, he was doing something naughty. Yeah. Yes. She knocked him on the head. Now, when she sees him around the neighborhood, calls out to him. I said, Chris, why are you walking so fast like that? Trying to avoid me. That child will not forgive me. It's, it's true. It is totally legal in Ghana to use corporal punishment in schools, though there is a debate here about whether to change that. But Godiva came out of that training with a promise to herself. She would not lay a hand on a child again. And more importantly, she wouldn't try to put kids where they belong. She'd talk to them, ask them questions. It would be a different kind of space within the walls of her classroom, a different kind of Ghana. We are going to start. Visit Godiva's classroom today, and it doesn't look anything like that video. There is a fire on the mountain. There's not an inch of wall that is not covered with some kind of colorful something that Godiva has made. It doesn't need to be store-bought Legos. She can cut things out of cardboard. She'll save toilet paper rolls. She tells all of her family members, like, when you're done with the toilet paper, save the roll, because I can use that in my class. Instead of yelling at the kids, she just rings a bell and says, hello, to get their attention. They misbehave. She talks it through with them. Why, Michael? Why do you like fight? But always you like fight. Say sorry to him. Sorry. Don't do it again, okay? Let's get him. All through the day, she finds ways to draw the children out in conversation. Like there's this moment when she breaks out these straws. She wants the kids to count them into bundles of ten, and she realizes she doesn't have enough. It's not enough. We don't have enough. One of the little girls volunteers. We have some straws at the shop near my house. And Godiva's like, Don't you buy some for me? I'm going to buy it for The kids are engaged. They notice things. And Sharon says, Godiva is not an outlier. With teachers, we saw transformative changes. This training, it got teachers to change their approach. 
When they did, their students tested better on math and reading and all these things their parents had sent them to school to learn. If teachers do this, your child will actually learn more of their ABCs and 123s. And not only did the kids do better in these improved classrooms. We actually went back and found those kids a year later. They were going back to those classrooms where they're sitting in rows and, you know, memorizing. And The students continued to do better even after they left the preschool. So that was very exciting to see that there could be really longer-term implications of these findings. Godiva loves her new classroom. She loves how she is. She loves how the kids respond. She'd never want to go back to the old way. But a few months ago, something happened that left her feeling torn between the teacher she was and the teacher she wants to be. It had to do with little Herbert, the five-year-old kid who works so hard on his homework each night. Herbert is in Godiva's class this year. Earlier this year, she gets a visit from Herbert's dad. He came to me. He steps Herbert up to this porch. Little play. Herbert is right there watching. When he came, he, he first told me he would be going somewhere. So first things start off friendly. He wants to let her know that they're going to have to take Herbert out of school for a few days for this family trip. Some sort of asking permission. And then he says this thing to her. He says, my son is not learning. He's being naughty. Yes. He, t- he told me, lash mine. I should lash his son for him. I need you to lash him for me. He said, lash him for me. He's not learning. Yes. Yeah. So you want to say, beat my son for me. Uh-huh. Lash is kind of a general term here. It can mean anything from slapping a kid's hand to something harsher. In that moment, I feel it's pressure. Godiva felt uncomfortable and a little lonely. You will not feel comfortable within you. She knows she's got to keep parents happy. These preschools are a business. Yes. If you don't do things to please them, then forget it. Their children are not coming to you. Facing this disappointed father, she didn't feel like she could begin to explain to him everything that she had learned in this training about brain science, how a child learns, alternate strategies for disciplining kids. But she does wish that parents could know this stuff. It will help. It will help a lot. If parents have that training, I think it will help. So you want the training you got, at least the parents, to get some of that training too? Yes. Sharon, the researcher working with the Ghanaian government, she also wanted to bring parents on board, but for a different reason. Parents' demand is really what drives um, the choice of schools. Parents decide where to send their kids. Parents decide what the curriculum's going to be. And so we knew that if we wanted to really take on the issues that Ghana's education system was going to be facing over the next decade or more, um, we had to think about the role of, of parents. So Sharon designs a second piece of her experiment. We created videos. In part one and two of this training. They were acted out by we local actors. She already has the 80 schools where the teachers were trained. That's Godiva's group. But she picks another 80 schools at random. And there she gives the teachers the exact same training. But then she also gathers the parents of their students. You, as a parent, can support by asking your child's KG teacher about activities you can do at home. 
They were focused on why play is important for learning for young children, what parents can do to support their child's learning, both at home and through the school, and trying to encourage more parent and teacher communication. Children learn by talking and questioning in both their local language and in English. A screened video followed by a discussion, really emboldening parents. It is very important that you speak with her teachers, understand what she is learning, and how you can help support her and the school. When the teachers see you around... Yeah, we thought this was going to help the teachers and the children even more. So you were expecting to, like, go through the data and, like, this was going to be the best of the bunch. Yep. (laughs) That is what we thought, (laughs) yep. That is not what she found. This is one of our most puzzling findings that we really still are trying to get to the bottom of. But we found that when you add this parenting program to the teacher training... All those gains that we saw for children around their positive you know, improvements in, in their early academic and their social and emotional skills completely were counteracted. They went back to zero. It's like they're no different from the group where nothing was done. Right. All those gains that we saw for children are erased. We told this to teacher Godiva. I'm not getting you. And she was floored. The teacher is not improving. All. This training that was so transformative on the teachers. The teachers were, were became did not improve. Why? When that same training was also given to the parents, did it have the opposite effect? When Rough Translation returns, the problem with parents. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop, And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gregory Warner. This is Rough Translation. We're telling a story with Nareet Eisenman about a remarkably successful intervention to transform Ghana's preschools that had just run into a weird hurdle. In the first group of schools, just a week of teacher training helped students do better. But in the second group, when teachers were trained and they showed parents a video you, as a parent, and encouraged them to get involved in the classroom, your the kids didn't improve at all. So the first thought was, what happened in the classrooms? Sharon goes back to her data. I was going through every single school. All those before and after videos of the teachers. 240 schools. She wondered what had changed in those classrooms. Are they doing these things that they were trained on? Are the teachers putting up colorful posters? Yes. Are they finding nicer ways to discipline the kids? Yes. 
The one thing they didn't do was supporting student expression. They didn't ask kids those really simple questions. How do you feel? What do you think? For whatever reason, the parenting meetings got them to pull back. And so we decided to just do interviews with parents and teachers and ask them what was their experience. As far as she could tell, parents had no issues with the training. She calls up some teachers. They don't seem to think that they're doing anything different than what they were taught in the training. Right. The only thing they do tell her is that more parents were coming to them to talk about their children. But the content of what they talked to their teachers about was concern that their child isn't learning enough and that they want the teacher to help them get their child in line. Maybe there was something happening under the surface that neither the parents nor the teachers even realized. Yes, he, t- he told me I should lash his son for him. You remember that conversation that the teacher Godiva had with the dad on the porch? So you want to say beat my son for me? Uh-huh. Well, we asked Herman, the dad, about this conversation. That, that, that's, that's the fact. Okay, that's the okay. fact. Like, yeah. you're remembering it. Yes. He said he fact. didn't say beat my child. He said... Don't let him play too much. Don't let him play too much. When he's playing too much, make sure that you put him right. What does that mean? Correct him. Discipline him. He wanted her to show his son who was boss. And to let her know, whatever she needed to do, he'd have her back. Give her a confidence. You're you're trying to give her confidence. To go full steam and make sure my child succeeds. He wanted her to be the authority figure that would get his child to buckle down. Yes, sometimes I feel it's pressure. That's not the kind of authority figure that Godiva had vowed to be. Mm, you are doing your best that you can for chat for the school children. So, Does it make you question yourself? Do you sometimes, like, yes, yeah. sometimes it does. Godiva had promised herself... She would not intimidate students. She'd create a different Ghana within the walls of her classroom. And yet, in that moment, on the porch, Godiva bends a bit. I called the child. When I called the child, I asked, Herbert, did you hear what your daddy told me to do to you? He said, yes, I heard it. Then it's like, the moment I say that, then you see that he's kind of timid. Little Herbert got quiet. Yes, then he don't want to be too active as he was doing before, and that was it. What exactly happened in this moment? There was an otherwise fleeting event in the course of a school day. A dad spoke to a teacher, and that teacher spoke to a child. There were no loud disagreements about curriculum or educational methods. But somehow the parents' hopes and fears rubbed off on the teacher. And the teacher changed her behavior. So Sharon wondered, might conversations like this one be the reason that the teachers in that second group were less likely to engage their students? These conversations with parents might have affected their practices in ways that they weren't fully aware of. If the message that the parents were sending was that teachers had to be more of an authority figure for their child... What an authority figure is in Ghana is someone who does not ask your opinion. 
Sharon says there's an American parallel here. That's something we've seen in our education system. Kindergarten and preschool are becoming more and more academic and less and less focused on play. Um, and, and in our concern that children are going to learn enough and succeed in our society, uh, we're you know, doubling down on these academic focus and, and losing a lot of uh, the essence of how children actually learn. Even though education experts like Sharon say, no, 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 this isn't the right way to do it. We, we shouldn't be giving homework and tests to little kids. It's hard for her to see how to reverse this trend. Yeah, these questions and concerns are not unique to Ghana, that's for sure. Does it does it raise like a bit of a moral dilemma? Because like you're trying to do the best for the kids and it's like, I asked Sharon. Do you have to kind of keep the parents in the dark about what's actually happening in the school? That is kind of our proposal moving forward. Until they figure this problem out, she's recommending to the Ghanaian government they hold off on getting any parents involved. So let's focus on the teachers for now until we can figure out how to engage parents in an effective way. Yeah. Is there a part of you that's like slightly uncomfortable with that? It makes me think we, you know, Ghanaian parents are doing a lot to invest in their children and they care about their education. And in the way that we tried to engage them, they ended up being a problem. On our last day visiting Herman's house, it was a Saturday. Little Herbert was finally free of homework. And he's drawing a picture, orange shirt, stick figure legs, and a big smile. Oh, this is your daddy. daddy. This is yes, your daddy. 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 Smiling. Smiling. Why, why is he happy? What, what makes your dad happy? Because he paid my school fees for me. Mm, because he paid your school fees for you? Yeah. It would be easy to make the parents the villains of this story. The ones trapped in their habits, dragging everyone else, the kids, the teachers, back with them. If you talk to Herman, the dad, about these new educational methods that Godiva is trying, he is pleasantly surprised to learn about them. He wasn't part of the group of parents that saw Sharon's video, so he didn't know Godiva had that special training. But in talking to the teacher, he might have made her less confident to try those methods. Uh-huh. You may think like that, but that's not what I meant. No. Maybe, I don't know if this happened, but it sounds like you have a lot of, can I say, anxiety or about passion. your... Passion. passion. To make sure Herbert's future is not... Uh, Tampered with. Tampered with, yeah. And maybe your passion, your anxiety, your concern communicated itself to her and made her feel... Yeah, that's a possibility like that, Yes. The thing is, he can't see entrusting his son's education to anyone else. Herbert is my first son. You don't have room for error with him. Oh, mom, we can't do that. We can't do that. Because, look, uh, if you are one eye man, we don't play with son. Herman feels like you can't afford to get it wrong. You're a one eyed man, you don't play with sand. Son, because sand can easily enter your one eye and you can't see anymore. You only have one eye, so you don't have an eye to spare. Uh, so. We don't play with sound. That's what it is. Yes, sir. They be, they be, they be, they be, they be, they be, yeah. 
This story is part of an NPR series called How to Raise a Human. And check out some other podcast episodes. Hidden Brain takes on the stories that parents tell themselves. Code Switch looks at how we can inherit our grandparents' trauma. And as part of that series, we have a question for you. As a parent, was there ever a time when you felt like you maybe pushed your child too hard or not enough? Or in your childhood, did your parents ever push you too hard or not enough? Submit your story to npr.org slash Herbert, and we'll feature some of those stories on NPR. This episode was produced by Jess Jang. Editing and scoring by Marianne McCune. Music by John Ellis. And thank you to the Ghanaian rapper Manifest for use of his tune, Debbie Debbie, which is featured on his album, The Price of Free. Education, get it for a higher price. Less quality teachers and more strikes. Students know the land. Sharon Wolf's collaborators on the Ghana Teacher Training Study were Professors Larry Aber of NYU and Jerry Bierman of UPenn. Also thanks to Innovations for Poverty Action, which organized the study. They do randomized control trials around the world. Thanks to their Ghana staff, Bridget Konadu-Giemfi, Edward Chinigo, and Henry Atimoni. Also thanks to Loic Watin and Jeffrey Mosenkis, who was an early sounding board for this podcast. Thanks to Tim McDonald and Juliet Ayuachamatin, as well as the many teachers and headmasters in Accra who welcomed us into their classrooms. Editorial feedback from Anya Kamenetz, Brian Erstad, Dan Charles, Kenny Malone, Michael Oba, Sana Krasikov, Sarah Gonzalez, Hannah Rosen, and Vicky Valentine. The Rough Translation High Council includes Neil Carruth, Anya Grunman, and Mathilde Piard. Katie Doggart fact-checked this episode, Mastering by Natasha Branch. We'd love to hear from you what you thought of the episode. Reach out to us on Facebook at Rough Translation or on Twitter at Roughly. And if you'd like more stories like this in your podcast feed, give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend about the show. I'm Gregory Warner, and next week we got an extra special show. It's a collaboration. It'll drop Friday, June 29th. See you then with more rough translation. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor Betterment. The drama of having an enemy-turned-lover is never chill, but your investing portfolio should be. Betterment is the investing app that lets you be totally chill about your finances. Their automated tech makes it easy to get in the market and stay in the market. Save the drama for that moment when you realize your mortal enemy is actually your soulmate. Betterment. Be invested. And totally chill. Learn more at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? 
Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research, on, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.